This CKNW podcast for AIM Medical Imaging, home of AIM Medical Imaging full body MRI scanning. A family history of medical issues is nothing to ignore. Book a preventative screening at aimmedicalimaging.com. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo in studio today with Andy Barrar. This is uh, a fun show for me. We always like to talk about uh, what were some of the top stories in tech uh, for 2013 and uh, what are some of the things we'll be looking forward to in 2014. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting show because it's kind of like after Christmas, before New Year, so we get a chance to to basically reflect on all the big tech news, the tech products that were announced this year, and also the, the big mishaps and the floods that happened because <laughs> those are always fun to talk about as well. Well, to, uh, to join us today, we've got a special guest. His name is Brian Jackson. He's the editor of IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brian. You bet. Thanks for having me, guys. So I want to start off with uh, some of the uh, the top stories of 2013. In, in your opinion, what do you think one of the the, the bigger ones were? Oh, definitely. We uh, we were surprised when uh, Steve Ballmer resigned from Microsoft. You know, everybody talking about uh, who the new leadership will be uh, there as they're dealing with trying to transition everybody to Windows 8, very different-looking sort of company now uh, with the mobile devices. And, um, you know, you wonder what direction they're going in. That was definitely a big deal. I, I, think, um, some, I, I think Microsoft in general is kind of uh, a big story this year when you, like you mentioned, there's a few things going on. Steve Ballmer resigning, uh, the, the Nokia purchase, um, also, the uh, the console wars with their Xbox uh, One. What significance do you think uh, it will be for Steve Ballmer resigning? Yeah, well, I think what we'll really see when a new leader is put in place is a clear picture for Microsoft going forward because people are sort of looking at Windows 8 and saying, are you guys going for an all-mobile device play here? Are you going to make uh, legacy Windows users really happy uh, it's been a really tough time to get people using Windows 7 on the desktop or even Windows XP, for that matter, over to this new, totally uh, redesigned user interface. It's really appropriate for mobile situation. And then on the other hand, they're having tough competition in the mobile space when it comes to competing with Android and, of course, iPads. People are used to those operating systems already when it comes to mobile. You know, it's funny, uh, Mike, it, I think Steve Ballmer resigning is a kind of a big deal because he's really like one of the last of the Mohicans from the early days of when personal computing first started. You know, Bill's been That's out... That's right. He was, he was even in the movie Pirates of Silicon Valley, you it, know, with it, Bill Gates and it, Steve Ballmer, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I think what yeah. we saw with Windows 8 was they were trying to go to that mobile operating system, that one operating system that works just the same on your smartphone and tablet as it would on your desktop computer. But what they failed to realize was just how much people like the traditional Windows, and that was a huge shift. And I don't think a lot of people, myself included, wasn't ready for that shift, which is why we saw them revert in 2013 and try to bring back the start menu or, and you know allow people to boot up in the desktop mode as well. It, it's Definitely. It, yeah, it's, it's tough to get used to change for anyone. It is interesting because uh, the the tech world's not very forgiving for mistakes uh, or, or lagging behind, uh, is it, Brian? Definitely not. And I, it's not like Microsoft is the only option anymore. 
people have other ways to get their computing done. And uh, they, a lot of people are saying, hey, I, uh, my computer works fine with the Windows operating system I have, and if I have a desktop, I'm using a mouse and keyboard anyway. I'm not really seeing a big advantage to go to Windows 8, right? So tough argument for Microsoft there. I think it's a tough sell all around, yeah. So Nokia. They used to be one of the largest handset manufacturers in the world. I, I remember in the mm -hmm. early days, you had to have a Nokia yep. if you wanted a, a good, good phone. They were the coolest ones out there. Uh, they have fallen uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, to the Android market, uh, iPhones. Do you think that was a wise purchase on Microsoft's part? You know, I think that considering how far they've gone down the road in partnering with Nokia. Uh, the only next move was to acquire them because what's happening is you have Windows Phone 8, right, the operating system that's running on those these Nokia devices, and the Lumia brand really becoming known as the flagship uh, device for Windows Phone 8. So Microsoft is thinking, hey, wait a minute, do we really want Nokia, like our partner? Sure, but still another company, you know, uh, being able to brand uh, with Lumia and Outbrand, you know, overshadow the Windows Phone 8. Uh, so they're saying, you know, we have to own it all. We have to own the hardware and the software and bring it together in a clear market strategy. So uh, given that context, I think it did make sense. Not only that, but you can look at Google buying Motorola. It seems strategically, from a business sense, it makes good sense for Microsoft to buy, you know, one of these uh, used to be a big fl uh, flagship smartphone and try to bring them back with their Windows 8. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you quickly, what do you think? Because, you know, we saw in 2013 Microsoft getting into the hardware business by building the Surface tablet. How do you think that uh, Surface tablet will be remembered in 2013? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been looking at the reaction to the Surface tablets. You know what? The first generation, although a lot of people are fans of it and people who use it quite enjoy those tablets, and I've reviewed them myself, they're really a slick product. You know, they work very well. I like uh, the user interface. It's fairly intuitive. The live styles are great, the, the way they dynamically update and serve you content right to your screen so you know what to dive into and read, but let's face it, they've been not selling so well, right? Especially those Surface RT tablets. Microsoft had to take, uh, I think, a $900 million write-down, and they were just trying to discount those devices all over the place, even selling them for $99 to the people that attended their developers' conference this year. So it's been a tough go, and uh, the new uh, tablets are out. Microsoft is trying a bit of a better... Uh, go-to-market strategy, bringing in more partners, you know, more uh, presence in those big box stores. So hopefully that will help uh, them move their hardware a little bit more. It will be interesting. Uh, you know, I've had a chance to use the, the Surface tablets as well. Uh, they're nice, you know, especially the Pro versions. Uh, there's no, no question. And, and I know a lot of people uh, that actually prefer them over, like, a traditional tablet like uh, an iPad. But like Brian was mentioning, the RT, that was one of the biggest flops, I think, of 2013. Because a lot of people, Definitely. it was so hard to explain just to, like, normal users what the differences were. And then they, they really couldn't understand, and they didn't sell as a result. It's that old adage when you're explaining you're losing, essentially. <laughs> so talking about you know the big uh, the tech mobile companies, BlackBerry was a big story this year as well, right, Brian? Of course, yeah. Who can forget BlackBerry? I mean, it's just been 
as uh, my colleague Howard Solomon wrote, it was a year of disappointments for BlackBerry. You know, at the beginning of the year, they had this new uh, operating system. It was very exciting. BlackBerry 10 was supposed to hit it out of the park, and Torsten Hines was at, at the helm. We were finally going to see these this new hardware come out, and really uh, Canadians, I think, were cheering for the company to do well. And, uh, in fact, Canadians bought a lot of BlackBerry 10s, or at least a fair number, but just didn't do well internationally. And in the end of the year, you know, we have a new CEO that, again, is going back to the drawing board, lots of red ink. Uh, it's a bad situation for sure. Well, I mean, the last quarter they took a, a $4 billion uh, loss. Uh, you look at the sales of their handsets as well. Uh, the um, the BlackBerry 10 versions are still not really selling that well. The majority of their sales were the older uh, BlackBerry units. And, uh, again, I think that uh, was probably more in the uh, the emerging markets like um, Indonesia and India. And I think, you know, from what I've read, that's something that they're going to be concentrating on going forward. We're going to have to take a break. We're talking with our friend Brian Jackson. He's the editor of IT World Canada, talking about 2013, the year in review for technology. When we come back, we'll uh, talk about some of the other big tech stories from 2013, including Google. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio. We're uh, doing the year in review. 2013, all the big tech stories uh, coming up. We'll also be talking about uh, what we think is going to be happening in 2014. On the line, we've got Brian Jackson, editor of uh, itbusiness.ca. I've got the title there wrong in the earlier segment. Thanks again for joining us, uh, Brian. Happy to be here, you guys. I want to talk uh, about some of the other stories that uh, were big news in uh, 2013 as far as the tech world uh, goes. Uh, Google, always in the news. One cute little thing was that Google barge, which I still really don't know what that was all about. Yeah, the Google barge is uh, is one of those kind of things that's really hard to figure out. A lot of people were seeing this in San Francisco, this big barge, and they knew Google uh, owned it, but we couldn't figure out what it was. And so it looks like right now that, you know, it kind of opens the doors on what Google can do when it comes to making servers because we see so much data going to the cloud that we actually know they could create these barges and have full-on server farms, you know, in the water, which is pretty remarkable. But it's just one of those uh, weird, quirky stories of 2013. You know, Google always experimenting in different kind of things, and the barge was one of them. What I found yeah, that was a great uh, publicity stunt. I remember seeing my Twitter feed, people talking about what what is this barge like? What's this mysterious Google ship in the harbor? And uh, what are they doing on that thing? Is that an office? And uh, I guess yeah, eventually we learned it was a server farm, which is uh, interesting, right? You wonder how data jurisdiction laws play out when your servers are on a ship that can sail around the ocean. They also uh, introduced Google Glass, uh, and this is something that we will be talking in about uh, for the 2014 tech trends. But Google Glass, um, another uh, part of that whole wearable tech trend. And, and again, these are glasses that tie in uh, with your, your smartphone and give you a, a heads-up display uh, right on the actual, uh, right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, kind of the future now. W what do you think of that, Brian? I got a chance to try one out in the summertime with a Google Explorer, as they call them, or a Glass Explorer, Explorer here in Toronto. And it was interesting. Um, I felt like that prototype was a long way from being ready for a mass market sort of device. 
Uh, but of course, I'm hearing that it will launch to the consumer market next year. Or at least that's what a lot of the developers that have been playing with them expect. And uh, I'm really interested to see how it will be received, not only for its sort of quirky fashion uh, sense, you know, uh, will people be willing to wear this headgear around? And then there's this other part of will people actually be comfortable using it? And will the voice recognition and that little touch panel you get on the side, will that be enough and intuitive enough for people to make it useful as they're going about their daily lives? You think it's going to be more still aimed at the geeks than the mass market? Yeah, I do see it as a early adopter sort of device, and also you know a niche device in uh, fulfilling different sort of needs. Like I could see it uh, playing great in a lot of industries. Uh, probably medical workers could wear it, and for example, uh, what some car makers are even doing is having their mechanics wear Google Glass now and use it as, like, an assist for when you're doing those repairs following step-by-step instructions. So you get it right every time, and uh, you know what tools to use. You see exactly how to take out the car parts. It walks you through every step. You know, Brian, you made a a great point because if Google Glass makes the consumer market, and especially with these bring-your-own-device programs at the workplace, what ramifications is that going to have in the office when you know that someone, your colleague, is wearing these glasses that could record you at any time? They're basically going to have to change, you know, HR policies across the board to see how you're going to deal with all these different wearable tech, uh, you know, trends and gadgets in 2014. Yeah, that's funny. I I hadn't even thought about that BYOD implications of, uh, you know, asking your coworkers to take off Google Glass when you're in a meeting or uh, you're having lunch with them just because you don't want uh, an embarrassing photo of your posted to Twitter when you've got a sandwich half half in your mouth or something. (laughs) I mean, as if smartphones weren't invasive enough already, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. I never, I really, you know, I think that's really going to change a lot of uh, HR policies. It's like, you know, you sit down to a meeting, everybody has to take their glasses off. <laughs> it can only be a couple of years before that actually happens. Well, we'll be following that story uh, into 2014, there's no doubt, because uh, Google Glass is just really one part of that whole wearable tech trend. Twitter um, IPO'd this year as well. Twitter, uh, the social network kind of like texting on, on steroids, uh, millions of people using it. And uh, they did an initial public offering, uh, opening at uh, $26 a share, and they uh, were quite successful. Uh, your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, they did a lot better than Facebook, and uh, Twitter was sort of smart to sit back and wait a little bit longer, let Facebook test the waters, and we saw Facebook go on that bumpy ride. You know, they, their stock price uh, hit uh, hit it out of the park on the opening day, or at least it looked like it was going really well. But then soon after, it really dove down, and there were a lot of complaints about how that was executed. So Twitter really learned a lot of lessons from how that went. And when they came onto the market, they seemed like they were more prepared for it. And their stock is doing pretty well as a result. I think just yesterday, we were seeing all, all-time highs uh, from Twitter and Facebook so it seems like they just got the timing right and uh, couldn't have gotten more smoothly for them. And just before they actually did the IPO, Mike, I remember in 2013, they hired Christine Stewart from the CBC. She was a, a big executive yeah. from the CBC to head Twitter Canada. So with all that television experience behind her, 
we kind of knew that that's where they were trying to take Twitter, and they were trying to find different ways to monetize it because they have the community there. Now they just got to find ways to make money, and a lot of them, you know, but whether it's promoted tweets or selling those services to television shows to manage uh, audience kind of approvals. I guess that's the big question. How will they make money? You know, for a lot of companies like the Googles and Facebooks, for me, it's kind of a, a clear in my head how they could potentially make money. Uh, do you think Twitter, Brian, will be able to hit the billions of dollars like some of their competitors? I think they will in time. Yeah, they have the sort of critical mass to go on, and I do think the television play is really interesting one because uh, I don't know if you guys have ever sat down to watch a hockey night in Canada or even a, your favorite TV show. You get out your smartphone or your tablet and you just tune into the Twitter stream and now Twitter is realizing people are behaving that way so they're serving up ads from the networks who can't get you to look at the screen when the commercials <laughs> are playing so they're getting you, you're catching you when you're looking at your smartphone which is working out pretty well, I think. Well, you know, that is interesting and a good point because, uh, you know, one show that I, I I watch, A Guilty Pleasure, is Survivor, you know, that reality TV show. Right. And throughout that That's show, uh, yeah, throughout that show, <laughs> it's uh, it, they're just putting up the Twitter handles yeah. and people are going crazy on Twitter. So, uh, you know, to your point, Brian, uh, I guess uh, that, that would be a way for uh, those people tuning away from commercials is to start serving them ads up in their Twitter feed. Well, television historically has been a very passive experience. You just sit there and you consume. But with Twitter, you can actually engage and have discussions with people around the world, which makes it such a great fit for television. Well, we're going to have to take a break here. When we come back, we're still going to cover a few more of the stories of 2013 that we thought were big, including uh, Verizon potentially coming into Canada, and then not, and just overall competition in the wireless space uh, here in our country as well. And uh, we'll be touching also on uh, the NSA and how privacy is pretty much dead. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more when you come back. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. Get Connected, Mike and Andy here in studio. We've got uh, our friend Brian Jackson on the line from itbusiness.ca. He's the editor there. Uh, before we get into the, um, the, uh, the, I guess, the tech stories of 2013 again, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do, Brian. Well, I'm the editor of itbusiness.ca, and we are a technology news site, but we really cater to businesses, and especially line-of-business workers and small businesses, so the way I always explain it to my friends is, you know, we're, we're the tech site for non-technical people. So you don't have to be an IT manager or, like, a tech expert. You can come to the site and we'll explain the news, uh, latest happenings, and give, a, uh, give tutorials on the newest devices in a way that you can uh, understand what the benefit is to you with all, out, all of those uh, necessarily confusing technical specs and, um, you know, jargon that uh, is best left to the IT guys. <laughs> sounds, sounds very cool. So let's uh, jump into the stories again here. The NSA spying, Eric Snowden. Give us your, uh, your thoughts on all of that, Brian. Well, this was a great story to watch this year. I mean, just as we uh, were worried about hackers getting into our uh, corporate networks and even stealing our own personal financial information, that was uh, the biggest concern uh, security-wise last year. But now it seems like the conversation has really turned to, geez, what, what do I have to do to protect my information from the government? You know, And uh, for Canadians, it's been about, I'm using all these American services, 
uh, is my data being exposed to some sort of big brother type of program where uh, I'm being profiled by the NSA just by because I use Gmail or because I use Facebook, for example. It must be a dream come true for the NSA that most of these big data services and cloud services are U.S.-based. I mean, there's so many people internationally that use them. They can get information about these people from all over the world. And they have a legal right through the Patriot Act to do that, and that happened after uh, 9-11, that they changed the law so that they could walk into and just go into any server that's U.S.-based and find that, uh, that data. So it's uh, very alarming, especially for Canadians as we move everything up into the cloud. We have to wonder, you know, who's looking at our at our data. Brian, I often joke on our show, uh, and you know, to other you know hosts when I'm on their shows, privacy is almost essentially dead in the in the digital world. Do you agree? It's it's tough to argue that privacy is really preserved, but you know, I think that it's not dead. I think that if we just accept that it's dead, then we're sort of opening ourselves up to uh, being exposed to these types of things that we don't want to be exposed to. And um, I think that we have to just think about the internet as sort of a public forum. And when we're exchanging information over the internet, uh, we have to really consider how we're doing that and what type of service we're using and what type of information is appropriate to put on that service. So if you if you always act like a little bit paranoid, that'll probably be a healthy uh, thing for you in the end. And um, you know, I, I think that people can have their privacy, but you have to work hard at it. And um, definitely uh, when you find out about NSA type of programs, that doesn't help. Interesting with uh, Edward uh, Snowden. I got his name wrong there. Yeah, I called him Eric. Edward <laughs> Snowden. Uh, he was, uh, I guess, a, a contractor for the NSA. He turned over uh, a bunch of information to media outlets about what the NSA was doing. Um, you know, is he a criminal or is he a hero? Yes. Depends on what side of the fence you're on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're the government, he's a criminal. But at the same time, he's really exposing, um, I don't know, I, I think this is a breach in privacy. Yeah. Like, do they have the right to go as far as they, they, they have? And uh, now, yeah, that, I think, that I think the conversation that's happening now totally validates uh, what Edward Snowden did and obviously has to face up to uh, the criminal aspect of breaching a government agency now. But... Uh, you know, the fact that we're having such a great discussion about the extent to which government programs can go about about scooping up personal information, uh, maybe that shows that he did the right thing. Well, you know, it's uh, it's almost a constitutional issue right now. I think the Supreme Court's going to rule whether that they're allowed to do that or not. So a lot of implications. I know all the big tech companies have been pressuring Obama to put a lid on this because they're worried, especially with trying to, you know, get people to use all these cloud services, who is going to want to put their stuff on a cloud-based server that's in the U.S. right now? I would be more likely to put it like offshore somewhere else, but not in the U.S. they'll never spy on it there. <laughs> yeah, we, we promise we won't do it this time. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to wireless competition. Uh, in 2013, we saw the potential rise of Verizon here in Canada. The big carriers banded together to, uh, I guess, uh, try to, to shut that down as far as um, opening up uh, the wireless spectrum auction that was going to be that was, happening. That uh, was the Fair for Canada campaign that we saw in the summertime. Exactly. Just basically right. trying to outline why there shouldn't be a big U.S. competitor. Um, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, the fair for Canada, again, it was an interesting move by the big three, but it might have been a little bit premature. I mean, Verizon in the end said that had no bearing on whether they would come to Canada or not. And, uh, you know, it almost turned off a lot of Canadians, I think, and had the opposite effect of uh, generating sympathy for the, the big telcos. Uh, people in Canada sort of you know, love to complain about how high their phone bills are or getting gouged while they're roaming. So when the big three are coming and saying, hey, uh, block out competition because we have to keep this service Canadian and we have to, you know, uh, be fair to our companies, people don't feel like uh, they want to be on their side too much. They'd rather see more competition, I think. I was just surprised at how scared they seemed, you know, like they just banded together. It's like a, one of those movies where enemies get together and like we have to fight this common foe. And uh, I, I agree with Brian. They turned a lot of Canadians off. I remember a couple of radio shows, Mike, people were so angry and they wanted Verizon to come in and just crush the big three because they were just so frustrated. It, it was uh, actually a brilliant uh, move on the government, the conservative government's yes. part. and. I've seen them do this on a few different things now in the tech space. Number one, on the wireless side, saying we need to give consumers better pricing yes, um, and more competition. Yeah. And as a consumer, you're thinking, yeah. Damn right. Who, who doesn't want – You got my che- vote. Yeah, who doesn't want cheaper <laughs> prices? And you know, they're, they're starting to do this now with the whole uh, cable TV side yeah. now yeah. as well, basically taking the pressure off any other important issues <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and getting people to – Get excited about cheaper cable, cable and cell phone bills. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a funny thing, uh, but I mean that's that's kind of a story as well. That's going to be uh, bubbling up, uh, I think, coming up into 2014. Probably a good transition here. Um, what do you think about the cable companies and and TV in, in general, Brian? Uh, obviously, we're going through a big change as far as technology. Uh, do you think they'll be able to evolve? Yeah, it's interesting uh, what you're seeing these cable companies do in terms of trying to get their content out over different channels, right? So you see companies like Bell and Rogers who own all these vertical markets, like they don't just own television uh, channels, they own uh, mobile networks. So now they're saying, hey, we're going to use our mobile content as a way to incent users to sign up for our plan and watch our content over the other guys, right? So Bell trying to, uh, for example, make it less expensive to watch Bell content uh, on their mobile devices than Rogers content. And uh, then you're seeing them get together and make sort of Hulu-style or Netflix-style services that people use um, on the web to sort of watch um, all the content that they might have missed on their TV, or maybe they cut the cord entirely and they don't even get cable anymore. So... They're looking for online services like this. How do you think some of the other guys are going to survive in this this new world? Like, you know, a good example would be Telus. You know, they're into the mobile phones. They're into, uh, you know, providing cable service in Western Canada. Can they survive without having the content as well? Yeah, it's going to be tough. But uh, I think you're going to see the CRTC try to regulate further this idea that you can't use uh, necessarily your monopoly or your advantage with vertical markets to uh, give your own content favoritism, and um, then hopefully that will level the playing field a bit so that people could use TELUS and have just as good access to any type of content as if they were on any other network. 
We're going to have to take a break. We've got Brian Jackson on the line. He is the editor of itbusiness.ca. When we come back, we'll be talking about the tech trends for 2014. What, uh, what do we have in store? You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. We've got Mike Agamo and Andy Brar on the line. We've got Brian Jackson, the editor of itbusiness.ca, who's been uh, helping us with uh, the tech stories of 2013 and shortly here, the trends for 2014 that we're looking at. But uh, I just want to get to the contest, Andy. Yeah, we've got an excellent contest. Uh, we're giving away a Logitech Boom. This is a Bluetooth speaker, and it's a fabulous one. It's actually... Oh, I've tried this. Thing. You tried it. It, it is awesome. Did I not tell you? It's like amazing. Oh, my God. It is a cylinder-shaped Bluetooth speaker, so it gives you 360-degree sound. You put it anywhere in a room, and it's going to fill the entire room with sound. you got to go to our website to check it out, www.getconnectedmedia.com. Hit on the contest tab to enter and win. We also have some other contests as well that are still open, so you'll want to enter those as well while you're on the page. The Logitech Boom Bluetooth speaker, a fabulous device. you got to get it. Brian, we've uh, talked about uh, the tech stories of 2013. What are some of the big things that we're looking at coming up here in 2014, in your opinion? I think wearable technology is going to be a big topic for 2014. You know, we saw uh, Google Glass, of course, this year with the prototype out there and people trying that out. And then Samsung came to uh, the consumer market, probably the, no, not the first smartwatch, really, but definitely the most advanced in terms of features and tie in with a smartphone and really, uh, you know, a mass market product. So you got to say, hey, is 2014 going to be the year that Apple comes out with something? And uh, this really comes become uh, part of the popular culture. I wonder if Apple will come out with something in 2014. Tim Cook this week uh, actually sent a letter to all the Apple employees saying there's some big stuff happening in 2014. I wonder, I wonder, well, I'll probably say that every year, but I, I, wonder, I wonder if it will be wearable technology or that uh, mythical uh, Apple uh, television set that everyone thinks that they're going to come out with. Yeah, you've you got to say, is it going to be the iWatch? Or you could see them coming out with... Uh, Apple TV uh, all-in-one device, uh, too, right? Because they've got to compete with Google in that market. Um, but I bet, uh, you know, they're going to be getting into sort of different product categories and trying to do what Apple always does, which is uh, dominate a new space for a little while. One thing, I, Brian, I think that's going to be huge in 2014 is the proliferation of, of biometrics in smartphones. Now, we saw this with the iPhone 5S, the fact that you can unlock the phone using your fingertip. A lot of people think that Apple was the first to do this, but, Mike, Motorola Atrix, two years ago, had this technology. I remember you were trying that phone. Loved it. And you loved it. Yeah. So what Apple by, – by Apple doing that, it's going to make it mainstream. So I guarantee you every other smartphone that's going to come out on the premium flagship brands are going to have some type of biometrics that's going to be able to uh, allow people to unlock their phones because nobody likes to use the passcodes. And many BYOD programs make it mandatory if you're going to use your phone in the office, you have to lock your phone. So biometrics, big trend I think we will see in 2014. Another uh, trend here, um, we saw that the uh, FAA down in the U.S. Uh, loosened their restrictions on uh, electronics on planes. You know how you can't use electronics taking off and landing. Do you think we'll see that spread uh, to most of the airline carriers in 2014, Brian? Oh, let's hope so. I hate it. When they, I'm trying to read something on my iPad, and, you know, you get chastised by the flight attendants walking up and down the aisles. You say, like, put that away, and you just feel like, 
uh, you're, uh, you've misbehaved or something. So it seems silly. I mean, we all know that those rules get broken every day, but uh, I, don't, I don't really know what the reason is for that uh, rule. And uh, you know, it's, it seems like there's more of a trend. I've heard that even in the UK, they're uh, loosening up those restrictions now. So let's hope they follow suit over here. If I was in charge of an airline, Mike, I would have Netflix for everybody. So as soon as you let, you get a Netflix subscription while you're in the air and you could pick as much as you want. Imagine how many people would actually fly knowing that they could have some type of like Netflix service, you know, 33,000 feet above ground. Brian, any other uh, tech trends that you're looking at for uh, 2014? Yeah, I'm saying that uh, Microsoft will ditch this uh, Windows RT business. You know, this is the lighter version of Windows 8 that they've been trying to move. Uh, we were talking about the Surface RT being really the flagship hardware for that. At first, Microsoft had all these other uh, manufacturers like Dell that were making uh, Windows RT tablets, and it made sense when um, ARM processors were needed to run the battery longer and, you know, uh, have more powerful devices on the, that were like tablets that could last all day, but now Intel's got new processors that are really uh, good enough to run the full Windows 8. They still have all-day battery life, and you're seeing them hit the right price points of $300, $400. So uh, no other manufacturer is actually committed to Windows RT anymore. I think it's just confusing for consumers, and it's really costing Microsoft money. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them just sort of shuffle that one under the carpet. I think it might be a good move for them. Uh, you don't want to confuse your, your customer base, essentially. Exactly. I, I think I agree with Brian that you know we might see the end of Windows RT. When, when there's so many other great operating systems out there, like Android, uh, there's really no space for something like that. So um, I think we will see the end of RT in 2014. Brian, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today, and I, uh, I hope you have a good 2014. You going down to the Consumer Electronics Show? Oh, I wish. I I always miss it because I'm busy back in Toronto, but uh, I can't wait to live that event vicariously and see what all the other guys uh, like like you guys bring back from uh, CES. Brian Jackson, he's the editor of itbusiness.ca. You want to check that uh, website out. When we come back from the break, uh, Andy and I will talk briefly about the console wars and the gaming side. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and Andy here in studio. One segment left here. I wanted to talk about the upcoming console wars, both Sony and Microsoft. Microsoft with their Xbox One and Sony with their PlayStation 4 launched in November of uh, 2013. But I think the big war will play through 2014. Thoughts, Andy? Well, you know, it's one of those interesting tech stories because it happens pretty much once a decade. The last time we had this console war was back in 2006 when both the Xbox 360 and the PS3 were released. Um, Hard to say who won that war. I think it's really 50-50 down the line. This one, I am a little biased, Mike. You know, I'm a PlayStation guy, so I'm obviously have to have a disclaimer. I think PlayStation, the PS4, is better than the Xbox One. But uh, why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, the Xbox is trying to be take over your living room, yep. so they want your cable to go through it. Except upon release, that wouldn't work for Canadians. So it, only if you're U.S. you had to do that. Number two. 
the Xbox One comes with a mandatory Kinect camera that you would have to uh, pretty much put on below your television, and then you can actually do voice commands and gesture commands uh, with the television to to actually open up you know certain apps or play certain games. It's pretty wonky at best. I've I've seen I haven't tried it out myself, but a lot of reviews that I've read, it's not very consistent. And the fact that it's mandatory, and when we talk about the NSA, do a lot of people want to have a video camera in their living room that somebody could potentially hack? Because I already guarantee you, someone out there is trying to get into that that hack of of that camera because we know that it can be done with uh, the cameras on our laptops. They don't want to see me dance dance revolution <laughs> in my underwear. <laughs> I don't no. think so, but that that would go viral, Mike. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Microsoft in the previous version, the Xbox 360, they had their Kinect camera, and they sold millions of that, and so people seems that they want it. People might, you know, we'll have to see. 2014 is really going to show when it's going to happen, so we'll just have to wait and see okay, how you that. Know what? Next year, this time, we're going to have a bet. I'm going to say the Xbox One will be outselling the Sony PlayStation. Oh, you're on. Yeah? 100%. You're on. (laughs) (laughs) That's all the time we have left. I want to thank you so much this year for tuning in to Get Connected. We've always enjoyed talking tech with you and uh, look forward to uh, a fun 2014. Mike and Andy logging off for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time.